morning. I'm Matt, and I'm not a good person. Um, this Sunday is our by request message, and so we got a handful of requests. Um, it wasn't for me to admit that I'm a bad person, but I'm admitting that fully of my own accord. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking about some things this morning, and kind of want to lay a foundation as we get into it, because uh, it, it might feel a little bit intense. Um, here's the thing. I, I, you know, as I introduce myself as not a good person, I don't know anyone who does that. None of us lead with, hey, I'm not a good person. Uh, because we believe ourselves to be good and what we think about things to be trustworthy and true. Uh, in essence, we, we have a bias towards ourselves that we are right. In fact, it's interesting, our, our physiology, um, our body actually rewards us when we are right or even when we think that we're right. Uh, when we're right or we think we're right, even if we're wrong, our body uh, gives us a dopamine hit and makes, it f- makes us feel good about ourselves. It's, it's a chemical reaction. And, and, and so whether I'm right or wrong, if I think I'm right or I am right, I feel good. And, and we can even get addicted to the feeling of being right. And, and this is really proven in our society in that the, the vast majority of people who will respond to a question uh, about whether they're kind of the average person or not, the vast majority of people when asked if they are morally superior to the average person answer saying, yes, I am morally superior to the average person. Uh, in fact, there was a study done of drivers, people who drive cars, um, just regular people, and 93% of us believe we are better drivers than the average driver. And me just driving to church this morning, um, I can attest to the fact that that is not true. Um, I'm a better driver than the average driver, but a lot of people that I passed or had to get around today are not better drivers than the average. Um, We believe that we are smarter, friendlier, and more ambitious than the average person. But also know that we also believe that we are uh, more modest than the average person. So we're kind of, we, when we think of ourselves, we really are kind of the total package. We are, we are great. And you think, well, I bet there's a group of people somewhere that maybe have a more realistic view of themselves. And it's interesting, there was a, a study actually done by, uh, by a person who, who they, they essentially did this study with uh, people who are incarcerated. And uh, the incarcerated persons, the results of that questioning was that they, by and large, came out saying that they believe themselves to be more moral, kinder, and generous than the average person. So there's a reality that, that we tend to screen out our wrongness. We, we tend to remember the times that we were right, and we tend to forget the times that we were wrong. We tend to not remember well those moments that we were wrong. Um, it kind of escapes us. It slips our minds. And, and the reason, and, and, and I guess one of the reasons that, that, that there's a problem with, with this is, is that, that Jesus answers this young man who is wealthy and comes to him and asks him the question. He says, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And and Jesus answers him in Luke chapter 18, and he says, 
he says to this young man, he says, why, he, or the way the guy asked the question, he says, good teacher, how, what must I do to inter, uh, experience eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so Jesus right there kind of sets the stage and saying like, you know, we're, no one's good except God. And we think of ourselves in various degrees of good, oftentimes gooder than the person next to us. And, and, and so the problem is that Jesus right off the bat kind of says, you know what, no one's good except for God. And, and you see, we are decisively biased to our own benefit. And part of the problem with that bias to our own benefit is that oftentimes there are parts or at least some of our bias is accurate and some of our bias has truth in it, but it's not quite as, as big as we think it is. You see, if, if, you, if you want to think of it this way, we all have an in-house PR firm inside of our, our bodies. And it works around the clock to keep us believing that we are mostly right all day. And, and, and so this bias that is working for us is, is all of these tools and all of these things that can help us to believe that we are what we want to believe about ourselves. We've got and it's interesting when you start to look at all of the different biases that we live by. I mean, there's obviously the confirmation bias, which is where we interpret information into what we already believe. And so we kind of take those things. There's, there's also something known as selection bias, where we only look to the things that actually do have confirmation to what we already believe. And we reject those things. We don't look at those things that, that don't confirm what we believe. There's also something called attitude polarization, which you've probably experienced this before when you've made a public statement about something, a, an absolute public statement, and then you find that maybe there's some gaps in it, but you entrench yourself and you just are all the more bolstering of, of that, that opinion because I've made it public and so I, I don't want to be proved wrong. There's another, there's another bias called hostile attribution, which, which I, I think I experience often where, where the person who's maybe you're in, in a dialogue or conversation, or you get an email from or a text from, you, you assume that they're coming from a place of hostility because they have a different, differing opinion or position than you. And so you see them as hostile and they're trying to do something. And so that, that's that hostile, hostile uh, that, that, that whole idea of hostile attribution. And then there's the illusion of control. Where, where we tend to believe that we are at the center of everything and we're controlling, we need to control those things around us. Then there's something called overplacement, which is just that basic idea that I think I'm better than you. And, and, we, you know, and again, our PR form, firm confirms that. Then there's something called the empathy gap, which I think Kyle Belden suffers from, where, where he thinks that his feelings play no role, it's just logic and reason. Um, and, 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 and then there's, then there's a, a hindsight, uh, hindsight um, bias, which basically is where we trick ourselves into thinking that, uh, you know, I thought this way all the time. I knew that a long time ago. I already knew this. And, and we just kind of think that way. And it's interesting because we, we all kind of fall to this and we, we, make, we, we, we convince ourselves that we're better. 
than, than everyone else. And, and, and as I said, I, I'm, I'm mad and I'm not a good person. In fact, in, in, in some ways, I'm a pretty terrible person. And I, and I want to kind of confess that and give you an example. Um, you know, in, in the time that we live in right now, and there's all this talks of masks and things, and, and um, I have to be honest that, that when I'm driving down the road and, and I look over and I see someone in a car, and they're in a car by themselves, and they're wearing a mask, and uh, we've been told that the reasons we should wear masks or face coverings are because they actually protect others from you. And I sit there and, and I think to myself, that person is alone in their car in a, in a box and they're by themselves. I'm better than that person. Now, I realize some of you might um, wear a mask in the car. Um, and I just, I don't want you to be offended by that. I just want you to know how terrible I am. That's really what this, is, this point is. And if you wear a mask in the car, that's fine. But there's something in my PR firm that there's putting out information that, that I should feel better about myself. But, but again, don't we all do that? And it's with all different things. And, and, and so, so our reasoning, here's the thing. Our reasoning is not the precise, calculating, impartial tool that we like to think it is. It's actually always working to defend us and our conception of our good and right selves. It's there to, to, to make us feel good about ourselves. That's really what our reasoning does. Our reasoning is, is not unbiased. It's very biased toward us. So why, why do I kind of share all of these things as, as we get going? And, and here's why I share this, is that all of us, with no exception, we are all wired this way because of our human nature and our sin nature. If you're human, you think this way. And yes, the Holy Spirit changes us, but we will struggle with this until we see Jesus face to face. You and I will struggle with thinking better of ourselves and all of these biases until we see Jesus. And so we need to be honest about ourselves and our biases as we deal with difficult things. We need to recognize that we are not as good or right as our PR firm tells us, and that our motives are much more about us than they are about Jesus most of the time. See, today we, we've, we've been in, in this series called Pause, and today we're kind of pausing. And I want you to know, in this pause, in this moment, I, I, I don't really want to cover what I'm about to cover because it doesn't really fit with my bias. Um, as I said, we're, this, this today is, is we, we kind of are looking at uh, kind of a, a group of questions, a group of things that people sent in that kind of are related to each other. And, and, and that's what, that's what we're, we're going to be talking about this morning. But here's the thing. Even though this isn't something I want to talk about, it is what God calls his people to do. And I'm held accountable and, as to how I rightfully handle scripture. And so I would advise you as we kind of jump around in some different passages this morning, I would advise you this week or today to, to read any scripture I use further, look at the whole context. I've looked at the context and, and I believe I'm using the scripture accurately and appropriately, but I also recognize that I have blind spots and biases. As we move forward this morning, your processing is for you and the Holy Spirit. The reality is that I'm not the one who you're going to give an account to you and I will both have to give an account to Jesus. And when that day comes, we probably all should wish each other luck because that's going to be a rough day. 
And, and, and so really the, the, the question that we're walking through this morning, what we're looking at, what scripture talks about, is how do we manage the tension between our bias and our testimony? I think that's the best way maybe to, to, to summarize this. How do we manage the tension between our bias and our testimony? Those things that we think about ourselves, the things that we tell ourselves, the things where we think we're right and we won't let go of those things, and how do we balance that tension with our testimony? How do we do it in a, in a, in a world that's so divided and so full of, of, of contrary things? You know, it's interesting, today we, we see a lot of this coming out in, in the current affairs of government and public safety and all of those things. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is an interesting person to look at this because um, chances are that if you have an opinion today, it probably falls to the side as a, as a Jesus follower that you're struggling with this whole thing with government and safety and freedom and all that kind of stuff. And so some might be kind of, um, you know, looking toward Romans chapter 13. That's one of the main passages, but there's a whole bunch of passages in, in, in Scripture that talk about the believer's submission to authority in the government. And in Romans 13, in the first seven verses, but in verse 1, Paul says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And he goes on and talks more. And so that's, that's one thing that Paul writes, and Paul is very serious about that, and it's God's word. But if you, if you jump over to Acts chapter 16, there is a narrative, there's a story about Paul when he was in Philippi. And he's preaching the gospel of Jesus, and he ends up getting arrested and putting into a, a Philippian jail. And, and, and kind of throughout the night, God moves in, a, in an, an incredible way and, and causes an earthquake and it opens the prison doors. And, and Paul, is, it, it can walk right out of his prison cell. And the Philippian jailer, if you, if you remember the story, he's terrified because he, feels, he sees all the doors are open and, and he feels like he's going to be punished or put to death. And so he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, no, wait, I'm right here. So Paul comes out and and, 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 and so what's interesting is Paul, the same guy who, who wrote Romans 13, he's the subject in Acts 16. And, 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 and so what happened was he was arrested, he was beaten publicly, and he was thrown in this jail cell. But Paul was a Roman citizen. And Roman citizens had certain rights, and there were certain things you could not do to a Roman citizen. And one of those things was you could not beat publicly a Roman citizen. So Paul's rights were, were being excused and, and trampled upon. And so what happens is when the magistrates, the, the government leaders of the city, find out that he's a Roman citizen, which they should have known before they beat him, they're kind of terrified because they're going to face punishment for what they did. And so they say, let's, let's have them just leave quietly. Let's let them go, have them leave town quietly, and we'll just pretend none of this ever happened. Look what Paul says in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 37. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. In other words, Paul said, As a Roman citizen, I have a right for you to apologize and you to make this right in front of everyone. 
And so the story goes in Acts that, that that's exactly what the magistrates did. They publicly apologized to Paul because he was claiming his rights as a Roman citizen to continue to preach the gospel. So, so it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that here Paul talks about the, 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 the important to submit to the authority because God instituted them, but then also he, he did use his Roman rights as an advantage. You see, there is a way to be citizens of God's kingdom and live responsibly in the context that we are present in. But we have to remember our purpose. We are Jesus' witnesses to the community, immediate community, and to the end of the world. That is our primary purpose. Paul's primary purpose wasn't to keep from being beaten. His primary purpose was to be Jesus' witness to those in the community he was in and to the ends of the earth. See, I think, I think we have to ask, ask this, this, this question. We, we all, I think, have a question that we're going to ask that, that we kind of abide by, that we make decisions by. And I think it can come down to a couple, a couple questions. What is your priority ask in life that you ask yourself when you choose to do something? Do you ask, is it legal? Or do you ask, is it love? Now, sometimes legal and love can be, 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 be very similar. They can, they can move in the same direction. But oftentimes, and when things are difficult and when things are, are, are not clear, it is, it is very difficult to figure that out. You see, it's, it's this, this is it legal or is it love question is actually the adult version of, of the question that so many like students in student ministries and in high school ask when, when, I mean, I think every youth pastor have been asked this question. Maybe every, every person who's worked with, with students will hear the question when talking about relationships, how far is too far? And the question is basically, how far can I go physically with my girlfriend or my boyfriend until I've crossed the line and sin. So, so let me know what that boundary is, and then I'll go up to it, and then I won't cross over it, but inevitably you do, but, but, but I won't cross it, but then I'll know where the line is, and I'll go up to it. And you see, we, we, we respond to those with, that's the wrong question. The question should be, what should I do in my relationship that would honor God? See, that's a very different question. And it's, it's similar to the question of, is it legal or is it love? Is it legal? It's saying, what can I do that I won't get consequences for? Is it love actually asks, how do I best represent Jesus within the context of my freedom? You see, in the United States, we enjoy a great deal of freedom that really is unparalleled in other parts of the world. Typically, we are taught as Americans to seek to enjoy the full extent of these freedoms, taking full advantage of the rights and privileges and leveraging, leveraging them for our own benefit. And in and of itself, that vast array of freedoms, there's nothing inherently wrong with experiencing those freedoms. In fact, it, it's a very good thing on, on a number of levels. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, Verses 13 through 15. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's interesting that he, that is just such a, Interesting statement. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's a lot of biting and devouring and consuming going on right now from all fronts. And Paul warns us of that, not to use our freedom to that end, but to love one another and serve one another. And here's what I think is one of the most clear and and best examples of is it legal or is it love? We have something that's super important in our, in our country. And, and I would say that, that, that if you don't think this is important in our country, then you need to maybe rethink things. Maybe that's my bias speaking, but I think that's pretty important. And that is the freedom of speech. As people who are citizens of the United States, we have the right to express opinions without censorship or restraint from the government, including the freedom not to speak if we don't want to. We, we, we have that freedom and it's really important. And yes, there's been some infringement on that. There's been some things. And there's some things rightfully so that we don't have the freedom to do. We don't have the freedom to, to yell fire in a crowded movie theater, which probably doesn't matter right now because there's no crowded movie theaters. But, but we have certain freedoms that our, our government, our, our founding government, our documents, our constitution allows us to have. And here's some of the interesting things about cases that have been tried over the years and specifically said, this is what this freedom of speech means. It's interesting. There's, there's one case that resulted in this explanation that we have the freedom of speech that includes the freedom to use offensive words and phrases to convey a political message. That we as Americans have the freedom to use offensive words and phrases to convey a political message. It also has been, been held up that we have the freedom, part of our exercise of freedom of speech is to burn the American flag or to, to use derogatory titles to convey a political message or to, to, with people that we don't agree with. That, that, that we can use derogatory titles for those who are over us, for those who are around us, that that's part of freedom of speech. But think for a second what the Bible talks about speech. Because we've got our freedom of speech as citizens of the United States of America. But then the Bible. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire through a few, a few verses. And you can, you'll have this. My notes will be online shortly. And, and you can look and, and follow along. And, and again, look at the context of these. But, but 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. The Apostle Peter says that when people revile you, don't revile them back, but bless them. He says, keep your tongue from evil and deceit. Colossians 4, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, which we actually studied not long ago, Paul says that we need to leverage our speech for the gospel, that our speech should be always gracious with salt. Ephesians 4, 29 through 5, 2, Paul again says that there should be no corrupt talk that comes out of your mouth. That the, the language we use, the speech we use, you should be for building up giving grace and imitating Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 1 through 11 says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. James 1, 19 through 27 says, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And then the book of Proverbs, 
is just littered with, with things about our speech. You see, when we look at free speech from a legal American perspective, we have very few limitations. But when we look at speech from God's word, our freedom of speech shrinks considerably. And judging by the evidence from how we talk to each other and our social media presence, it seems like believers have a tendency to to dismiss whole sections of the Bible in favor of our legal rights as Americans. Again, I I could be biased, but, but it appears that we prioritize is it legal over is it love. You see, can people tell the difference by your speech between you and any other group of people, even people that you tend to agree with? Because Jesus says that the nature of his followers will not be mistaken for someone who can be defined by this world. That we will be different. You see, we have the freedom to function completely differently because of Jesus' sacrifice. And so then the question for us is, how much am I willing to sacrifice for others for the sake of the message of Jesus? Transformation comes through love born of self-sacrifice. Say that again. Transformation comes through love born of self-sacrifice. And and if you struggle with that, just look at Jesus because Jesus demonstrates this perfectly. He transforms us through love born of his self-sacrifice. See, and we have to ask ourselves questions that 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 revolve around the cost of sacrifice. Do I love and value God's people from everywhere around the globe and who might have a different bias than me? Do I really love those people? How how is my behavior and my speech and my lifestyle, how is it evidenced there? Secondly, do I love the enemies of my bias and want them to know Jesus? It's interesting that that we're called to love our enemies, which is scripture saying that, yeah, we will have enemies. There are enemies, but we're called to love them. Do I love my enemies despite the bias? Do I want them to know Jesus? If one of the most, if picture for a second for yourself, the politician that you dislike the most, the politician that you maybe complain about the most? What if they knew all the things that you've said about them and the ways that you have described them and the titles you've given them? What if God called you to be the one who was going to witness Jesus to them and they knew all of those things? Would you have a chance? So as as we think through this, this, this whole thing, as, as we think through this, there's a reality that, 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 again, we tend to think that we are right, that we know what we're talking about, that, 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 that we are kind of better than, than the average. We think we're basically right about everything, our political and intellectual convictions, our religious and moral beliefs, our assessment of others. How many of us think that we are a great judge of character. 
our memories. We think we have accurate memories, but it's obvious, it's been proven that we don't remember well. And we all think that we have great grasp of the facts, and we just, we really don't have what we think we have. And, and, and so what we need is something definitive a grid to put our thoughts, our thinking, and the things that we think we're right about through and how we are expressing those things. Because we could be right on one hand, but the way we express our rightness can be totally wrong. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount telling the people basically what he calls them. In fact, it's almost a grid that Jesus gives to run all of our thinking and all of our behavior through. Let me, let me read. I'm going to start reading in Matthew 5, verse 3. It's the Beatitudes. That's kind of maybe the equivalent of the Constitution for the Jesus follower. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to walk through this briefly, and I would encourage you to kind of maybe put this somewhere that's visible, that you can be constantly reminded to run your thinking through and fire your PR firm and let this be the thing that determines what you think of yourself. Let this be the measure. First thing Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's easy to walk through this without stopping and thinking. But po being poor in spirit is, is essentially having a sense of your inadequacy, guilt, failures. And basically, that your rightness isn't really that right. That's what being poor in spirit is. It's not just knowing with your mind. 